Section six of the Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. Translated by Hastings Crosley. Aphorisms 116 through 140. Number 116. Ask me, if you choose, if a cynic shall engage in the administration of the state. O fool, seek you a nobler administration than that in which he is engaged? Ask you if a man shall come forward in the Athenian assembly, and talk about revenue and supplies, when his business is to converse with men, Athenians, Corinthians, and Romans alike, not about supplies, not about revenue, nor yet peace and war, but about happiness and misery, prosperity and adversity, slavery and freedom. Ask you whether a man shall engage in the administration of the state, who has engaged in such an administration as this? Ask me, too, if he shall govern. And again I will answer, Fool, what greater government shall he hold than he holds already? Number 117. Such a man needs also to have a certain habit of body. If he appears consumptive, thin and pale, his testimony has no longer the same authority. He must not only prove to the unlearned, by showing them what his soul is, that it is possible to be a good man apart from all that they admire, but he must also show them, by his body, that a plain and simple matter of life, under the open sky, does no harm to the body either. See, I am proof of this, and my body also, as Diogenes used to do, who went about fresh of look, and by the very appearance of his body drew men's eyes. But if a cynic is an object of pity, he seems a mere beggar, all turn away, all are offended at him. Nor should he be slovenly of look, so as not to scare men from him in this way either. On the contrary, his very roughness should be clean and attractive." Number 118. Kings and tyrants have armed guards wherewith to chastise certain persons, though they themselves be evil. But to the cynic conscience gives this power, not arms and guards. When he knows that he has watched and labored on behalf of mankind, that sleep hath found him pure, and left him pure still, that his thoughts have been the thought of a friend of the gods, of a servant, yet one that hath a part in the government of the supreme God, that the words are ever on his lips. Lead me, O God, and thou, O destiny, as well as these. If this be God's will, so let it be. Why should he not speak boldly unto his own brethren, unto his children, in a word, unto all that are akin to him? Number 119 does a philosopher apply to people to come and hear him? Does he not, rather, of his own nature, attract those that will be benefited by him, like the sun that warms, the food that sustains them? What physician applies to men to come and be healed, though indeed I hear that the physicians at Rome do nowadays apply for patients? In my time they were applied too. I apply to you to come and hear that you are in evil case, that what deserves your attention most is the last thing to gain it, that you know not good from evil, 
and are in short a hapless wretch, a fine way to apply, though unless the words of the philosopher affect you thus, speaker and speech are alike dead. Number 120. A philosopher's school is a surgery. Pain, not pleasure, you should have felt therein, for on entering none of you is whole. One has a shoulder out of joint, another an abscess, a third suffers from an issue, a fourth from pains in the head. And am I then to sit down and treat you to pretty sentiments and empty flourishes, so that you may applaud me and depart, with neither shoulder, nor head, nor issue, nor abscess a whit the better for your visit? Is it then for this that young men are to quit their homes, and leave parents, friends, kinsmen, and substance to mouth out bravo to your empty phrases? Number 121. If any be unhappy, let him remember that he is unhappy by reason of himself alone. For God hath made all men to enjoy felicity and constancy of good. Number 122. Shall we never wean ourselves? Shall we never heed the teachings of philosophy? Unless perchance they have been sounding in our ears like an enchanter's drone. This world is one great city, and one if the substance whereof it is fashioned. A certain period indeed there needs must be. While these give place to those, some must perish for others to succeed. Some move and some abide. Yet all is full of friends, first God, then men, whom nature hath bound by ties of kindred each to each. Number 123. Nor did the hero weep and lament at leaving his children orphans, for he knew that no man is an orphan, but it is the Father that careth for all continually and for evermore. Not by mere report had he heard that the Supreme God is the Father of men, seeing that he called him Father, believing him so to be, and in all that he did had ever his eyes fixed upon him, wherefore in whatsoever place he was, there is was given him to live happily. Number 124. Know you not that the thing is a warfare? One man's duty is to mount guard, another must go out to reconnoiter, a third to battle, all cannot be in one place, nor would it even be expedient, but you, instead of executing your commander's orders, complain if aught harsher than usual is enjoined, not understanding to what condition you are bringing the army, so far as in you lies. If all were to follow your example, none would dig a trench, none would cast a rampart around the camp, none would keep watch or expose himself to danger, but all turn out useless for the service of war. Thus it is here also. Every life is a warfare, and that long and various. You must fulfill a soldier's duty and obey each order at your commander's nod. I, if it be possible, divine what he would have done, for between that command and this there is no comparison, either in might or in excellence. Number 125. Have you again forgotten? Know you not that a good man does nothing for appearance sake, but for the sake of having done right? Is there no reward, then? Reward? Do you seek any greater reward for a good man than doing what is right and just? Yet at the great games you look for nothing else. There the victor's crown you deem enough. 
seem it to you so small a thing and worthless to be a good man and happy therein? Number 126. It befits thee not to be unhappy by reason of any, but rather to be happy by reason of all men, and especially by reason of God, who formed us to this end. Number 127. What, did Diogenes love no man, that he was so gentle, so true a friend to men, as cheerfully to endure such bodily hardships for the common weal of all mankind? But how loved he them, as behooved a minister of the supreme God, alike caring for men and subject unto God? Number 128. I am by nature made for my own good, not for my own evil. Number 129. Remind thyself that he whom thou lovest is mortal, that what thou lovest is not thine own. It is given thee for the present, not irrevocably, nor forever, but even as a fig or a bunch of grapes at the appointed season of the year. But these are the words of evil omen. What, callest thou aught of evil omen, save that which signifies some evil thing? Cowardice is a word of evil omen, if thou wilt, and meanness of spirit, and lamentation and mourning, and shamelessness. But do not, I pray thee, call of evil omen a word that is significant of any natural thing. As well call of evil omen the reaping of the corn, for that means the destruction of the ears, though not of the world. As well say that the fall of the leaf is of evil omen, that the dried fig should take the place of the green, that raisins should be made from grapes. All these changes from a former state into another, not destruction, but an ordered economy, a fixed administration. Such is leaving home, a change of small account, such is death, a greater change, from what now is, not to what is not, but to what is not now. Shall I then no longer be? Not so, thou wilt be, but something different, of which the world now hath need. For thou too wert born, not when thou chosest, but when the world had need of thee. Number 130. Wherefore a good man and true, bearing in mind who he is and whence he came, and from whom he sprang, cares only how he may fill his post with due discipline and obedience to God. Wilt thou that I continue to live? Then will I live, as one that is free and noble, as thou wouldst have me. For thou hast made me free from hindrance, in what appertaineth unto me. But hast thou no further need of me? I thank thee. Up to this hour have I stayed for thy sake, and none others, and now in obedience to thee I depart. How dost thou depart? Again I say, as thou wouldst have me, as one that is free, as thy servant, as one whose ear is open unto what thou dost enjoin, what thou dost forbid. Number 131. Whatsoever place or post thou assignest me, sooner will I die a thousand deaths, as Socrates said, than depart it. And where wilt thou have be me? At Rome of Athens? At Thebes or on a desert island? Only remember me there. Shouldst thou send me where man cannot live as nature would have him, I will depart, not in disobedience to thee, 
but as though thou wert sounding the signal for my retreat. I am not deserting thee, far be that from me, I only perceive that thou needest me no longer. Number 132. If you are in Gyros, do not let your mind dwell upon life at Rome, and all the pleasures it offered to you when living there, and all that would attend your return. Rather be intent on this, how he that lives in Gyros may live in Gyros, like a man of spirit. And if you are at Rome, do not let your mind dwell upon life at Athens, but study only how to live at Rome. Finally, in the room of all other pleasures put this, the pleasure which springs from conscious obedience to God. Number 133. To a good man there is no evil, either in life or death. And if God supply not food, has he not, as a wise commander, sounded the signal for retreat and nothing more? I obey, I follow, speaking good of my commander and praising his acts. For at his good pleasure I came, and I depart when it pleases him. And while I was yet alive, that was my work, to sing praises unto God. Number 134. Reflect that the chief source of all evils to man, and of baseness and cowardice, is not death, but the fear of death. Against this fear, then, I pray you, hearten yourself. To this let all your reasonings, your exercises, your reading tend. Then shall you know that thus alone are men set free. Number 135. He is free who lives as he wishes to live, to whom none can do violence, none hinder or compel, whose impulses are unimpeded, whose desires are attain their purpose, who falls not into what he would avoid. Who then would live in error? None. Who would live deceived and prone to fall, unjust, intemperate, in abject whining at his lot? None. Then doth no wicked man live as he would, and therefore neither is he free. Number 136. Thus do the more cautious of travelers act. The road is said to be beset by robbers. The traveler will not venture alone, but awaits the companionship on the road of an ambassador, a quester, or a proconsul. To him he attaches himself, and thus passes by in safety. So doth the wise man in the world. Many are the companies of robbers and tyrants. Many the storms, the straits, the losses of all a man holds dearest. Whither shall he fall for refuge? How shall he pass by unassailed? What companion on the road shall he await for protection? Such and such a wealthy man, of consular rank? And how shall I be profited, if he is stripped, and falls to lamentation and weeping? And how, if my fellow-traveller himself turns upon me and robs me? What am I to do? I will become a friend of Caesar's, in his train none will do me wrong. In the first place, oh, the indignities I must endure to win distinction! Oh, the multitude of hands there will be to rob me! And if I succeed, Caesar too is but a mortal. While should it come to pass that I offend him, whither shall I flee from his presence, to the wilderness? And may not fever await me there? What then is to be done? Cannot a fellow-traveller be found that is honest and loyal, strong and secure against surprise? 
Thus doth the wise man reason, considering that if he would pass through in safety, he must attach himself unto God. Number 137. How understandest thou attach himself to God? That what God wills, he should will also, that what God wills not, neither should he will. How then may this come to pass? By considering the movements of God and his administration. Number 138. And dost thou that hast received all from another's hands repine and blame the giver if he takes anything from thee? Why, who art thou, and to what end comest thou here? Was it not he that made the light manifest unto thee, that gave thee fellow workers, and senses, and the power to reason? And how brought he thee into the world? Was it not as one born to die, as one bound to live out his earthly life in some small tabernacle of flesh, to behold his administration, and for a little while share with him in the mighty march of this great festival procession? Now, therefore, that thou hast beheld, while it was permitted thee, the solemn feast and assembly, wilt thou not cheerfully depart when he summons thee forth, with adoration and thanksgiving for what thou hast seen and heard? Nay, but I would fain have stayed longer at the festival. Aye, so would the mystics fain have the rites prolonged. So perchance would the crowd at the great games fain behold more wrestlers still. But the solemn assembly is over. Come forth, depart with thanksgiving and modesty. Give place to others that must come into being even as thyself. Number 139. Why art thou thus insatiable? Why thus unreasonable? Why encumber the world? I, but I fain would have my wife and children with me too. What, are they then thine, and not his that gave them, his that made thee? Give up then that which is not thine own, yield it to one who is better than thou. Nay, but why did he bring one into the world on these conditions? If it suits thee not, depart. He hath no need of a spectator who finds fault with his lot. Them that will take part in the feast he needeth, that will lift their voices with the rest that men may applaud the more, and exalt the great assembly in hymns and songs of praise. But the wretched and the fearful he will not be displeased to see absent from it, for when they were present they did not behave as at a feast, nor fulfill their proper office, but moaned as though in pain, and found fault with their fate, their fortune, and their companions, insensible to what had fallen to their lot, insensible to the powers they had received for a very different purpose, the powers of magnanimity, nobility of heart, of fortitude, or freedom. Number 140. Art thou then free, a man may say? So help me heaven, I long and pray for freedom, but I cannot look my masters boldly in the face. I still value the poor body. I still set much store on its preservation whole and sound. But I can point thee out a free man, that thou mayest be no more in search of an example. Diogenes was free. How so? Not because he was of free parentage, for that indeed was not the case, but because he was himself free. He had cast away every handle whereby slavery might lay hold of him to enslave him. Nor was it possible for any to approach and take hold of him to enslave him. All things sat loose upon him. All things were to him attached, 
but by slender ties. Hadst thou seized upon his possessions, he would rather have let them go than have followed thee for them. Aye, had it been even a limb, or mayhap his whole body, and in like manner relatives, friends, and country. For he knew whence they came, and whose hands, and on what terms he had received them. His true forefathers, the gods, his true country, he never would have abandoned, nor would he have yielded to any man in obedience and submission to the one, nor in cheerfully dying for the other. For he was ever mindful that everything that comes to pass has its source and origin there, being indeed brought about for the weal of that, his true country, and directed by him in whose governance it is. End of section 6